the following podcast has been paid for by Perched on the Top Rope. Come get on the train. Pippin' <laughs> ain't easy. What's up, everybody? This is the Godfather, and you're listening to Perched on the Top Rope. Now get on the train. Welcome, everyone, to Perched on the Top Rope. It's me. It's me. It's the former dirt sheet writer, Lee Walker, and I am mobbing with my dudes with attitudes. I've got the Perched correspondent. Justin Largitoe, I've got Perched Gaming's Alex Todd, and we are here to talk about anything and everything professional wrestling and sports entertainment news related. Guys, why don't we kick things off right off the bat with WWE? We've seen a lot of big things happen, but before we talk about WWE, guys, how are you doing, and what is your thought behind WWE and the pushing and signing of new talents. Yeah, I'm doing good today, Lee. I know we've uh, talked about it in the past. This this next in line program WB has adopted, I guess you could say. You see them signing multiple college athletes, uh, people coming out of high school as we've seen with Fia Hale on NXT. And now we see celebrities being signed, such as Logan Paul. In my eyes, I'm not a fan of it. I understand there are some diamonds in the rough when you go and you scout these college athletes opposed to your independent wrestling stars. I mean, look at somebody like Bianca Belair or Montez Ford, who were just athletes in, in CrossFit. And where they are currently in the WB landscape, uh, somebody like Logan Paul, obviously Logan Paul has some sort of audience. That audience is not me, but it's just the way they're going to do things. I mean, we even talked about it before going into WrestleMania this year, how the reliance on most of their card was just celebrities. You had Johnny Knoxville and Pat McAfee who is on SmackDown as a commentator every week, yes, but still a former NFL player and a celebrity, and as well as Logan Paul. But I'm not too I'm not too thrilled about it. I would like to see them dip into the indie pool, which which they do still. I can't say they don't. They've signed people like Roxanne Perez, who's obviously doing very well in NXT right now. But I don't like the idea that we're avoiding the independent wrestling pool and going to these college athletes and signing them and building them from the ground up, even though there are some diamonds in the rough there. Yeah, I got to agree with that, Justin. Um, I'm not a big fan of the NIL signings that they've been doing because a lot of these people have no history of pro wrestling in the past. It just comes off as... 
They're trying to just build people from the ground up. And that works sometimes. Sometimes you got to grab people that are fresh out of a, a sports background. And sometimes it, it works out well for them. You've seen people like Roman Reigns come from an athletic background. You've seen people like Baron Corbin come from an athletic background. If you go further back into wrestling, you've seen guys like The Rock, Goldberg, just to name a couple. But it almost feels like it's too much at this point, And they're relying more on that than they are on grabbing some people from the indies, which I thought did very well for NXT specifically in the past, but they're also going in a different direction with the NXT 2.0 garbage that they have now. So I'm going to stay with you on the fact that I'm not a huge fan on it, but on the flip side, when you were talking about Logan Paul and the celebrities that they've been signing, I've actually been more impressed than I thought I would be. Someone like Logan Paul, who I discussed last week, I'm not a huge fan of as a person. Obviously, as a person, he's, let's be blunt, he's a piece of shit. Everybody knows what he's done. If you know who Logan Paul is, then you know some of the stuff that he's done in the past, and I'm not going to get into it because now is not the time. But I was extremely surprised with how well he performed in the ring at WrestleMania. I was extremely surprised at how well Bad Bunny performed in the ring at WrestleMania last year. And I've been extremely surprised at how Pat McAfee has performed. And Pat McAfee is one of those hybrids who's kind of, you know, half celebrity, half sports player. So he's he's a different breed. Pat has his own little WWE wing to himself that nobody can touch. But I would love to see them dip a little more into the indie scene again. But obviously we're going in a different direction with today's signing. So, so be it. Hey, we got Joe Gacy. We do. We got our local boy there. That's all that matters in my eyes. As far as the next in line program with recruiting the college athletes, Alex, Justin, I'll date back even further. So you want to talk about college athletes, Dr. Death, Steve Williams, Curtis Hughes, Hawk, Animal, Man, who else? There, there's a lot of them uh, when it comes to professional wrestling and having been athletes elsewhere. Uh, Brian Pillman, another one, former football player. There's a lot of former football players from the, you know, the 70s, 80s, 90s. Ron Simmons, another one, football player. Shawn Michaels, the- Dolph Ziggler, both athletes in high school and college. Yeah, you know, look at look at other, you know, amateur wrestlers and things to that nature. You can argue Dan Severin, Ken Shamrock, although Ken Shamrock was in professional wrestling before the UFC. His professional wrestling debut was, I believe, like 1989. UFC wasn't even created until 91, 92. So I'd there's say a arguably, of- I'd say arguably the biggest one is Brock Lesnar. Yeah, yes. 100%. You know, so there are a lot of crossovers from professional athletes to wrestling professional wrestlers to uh, other professional sports. Uh, But the argument here is what the next in line program is doing. You know, WWE already had a program, you know, kind of set with at the performance center with tryouts. I don't think they were getting a lot of college athletes trying out, but they were getting a lot of the indie wrestlers and some more notable indie wrestlers coming to try out, so to speak. I think we'll still have those tryouts, 
but I think for college athletes, especially those who are D1 schools or maybe even D2 to an extent, if you're a good D3 athlete, they might look at you, but I think they're going to primarily stick with D1. And if you notice, they recruited a lot from track and field, wrestling and football, but it was no real notable, I don't want to say names of those sports, but colleges, so to speak. You know, it wasn't like they weren't getting the top of the line, I guess is how I would put it. I'm not a fan of the next in line program because I feel like you you skip a step in, in how you get into professional wrestling. We have always known the grit of you train, you're performing at local indie shows, but you're helping set up the ring. You're, you're doing all the legwork and everything like that. You know, you're paying your dues much like a lot of the wrestlers weren't a fan of NXT in its early day, Alex, like when Maven and things like that were doing it because you jumped the line. You got a big paycheck. You avoided paying dues. Yeah. You avoided paying dues. And that's how I look at this. I don't know how a lot of indie wrestlers look at it, but I definitely see it as a way that is going to eliminate a lot of indie talent making it to the company. But then again, we've also seen how WWE has changed where if they don't feel you're performing right, you get reevaluated and this and that and every other thing. That's why we saw some recent releases. However, when it comes to the celebrity aspect side, I can totally understand them signing these celebrities one, because now it stops them from doing things with the likes of AEW who haven't had a lot of celebrity tie-ins as much as WWE does. So WWE is really proving themselves on what that E stands for, which is entertainment. We saw Pat McAfee recently just uh, sign an extension to his contract, which is great. He's another one, just like Logan Paul, great performer, this and that. We all, I feel the same way about Paul as much as you guys do. But, you know, again, good performer. Yeah, Lee, it, I'm kind of in the, and I don't mean to cut you off, but I'm kind of in the same boat as you where it comes to, I'm not a fan of somebody being signed and just popping up on NXT and in some cases having their first match. You know, I, I do think they should be paying their dues. And, you know, to go back to some of the releases, you got cut guys like Danny Birch and Timothy Thatcher, who I'm sure played a big role in training at the, at the Performance Center, as well as being on-screen performers for NXT. You know, you kind of need that. You can't build the future without having a little bit of the past and having those veterans to share their guidance that they've learned over the years with these new up-and-coming talents that have been signed. Yeah, you know, you do need some veterans, and I think that's why we're starting to see main roster people come down. Right now, Apollo Crews is working NXT as opposed to the main roster right now, which I thought was kind of weird because he's definitely not working the same character as no, he is on the main roster, which, which really kind of goes to show me, you know, 
we joke that when guys go from the main roster or go from NXT to the main roster, Vince has no idea what they've done on NXT. Well, it seems like NXT ignores what the heck these guys were doing on the main roster. You know, I guess eye for an eye. But I think the celebrity side is great. But I want to shift into pushing new talent. I know that's what the next in line program, that aspect is what they're looking for, is, is to create new talent. As a fan, we want new talent to get the push. But when that push happens, sometimes we're not happy with it. We're not because we're not happy with the people that are chosen. I'm going to give you guys two examples because it just recently happened. Money in the bank. Liv Morgan wins money in the bank. Liv Morgan cashes in that night and defeats Ronda Rousey, who, by the way, has the highest winning percentage out of anybody in the entire WWE roster and in the history of WWE. If you don't believe me, look it up. Ronda Rousey has the highest winning percentage. WWE Hall of Famer Rick Steiner's behind her in the second position, believe it or not. Anyway, they have their moment. Liv Morgan is now WWE SmackDown Women's Champion. The crowd popped when she was coming down the aisle and that music hit. The crowd popped when she won. This conversation was probably different three or four months ago, and I can actually account for it being different. Uh, because we, I don't know about you, Justin, but I know Alex, myself, and, and others we have had on the show have expressed uh, a concern for Liv Morgan three or four months ago. She was a revolving door in the tag team division. It seemed like there was a lack of direction for her in what WWE was doing with her. At times, it seemed like people wanted the push, wanted the push. She would get there and fall short. In my eyes, during that, I thought she would be next in line, no pun intended, for best of luck in your future endeavors. And now she's the WWE SmackDown Women's Champion. I don't know how you guys feel, but three or four months ago when I watched her go from teaming with what she's teamed with Alexa Bliss, she's teamed with Rhea Ripley. She's been in three or four different tag teams now and nothing worked. I for sure thought she was in line for the best of luck. Now she's a champion. I'm going to leave it at that. She's a champion. My thoughts on this specifically regarding money in the bank and living of itself. We talked about this last week on the show. I made this a very clear point. Liv was red hot when money in the bank came around last year. She was very clearly the choice that the fans wanted to win the briefcase last year. But in my mind, the reason that she didn't win it was because it was the fans that wanted her to win. And it wasn't Vince's idea. It's been very well known by talent that have worked for Vince or just talent that know Vince. We have little snippet interviews coming out on the YouTube channel at YouTube slash Perched on the Top Rope this week 
where Lee, you interviewed ECW original Chubby Dudley, where he even admitted from talking to Bubba Ray and Devon that they specifically said at points during their initial run too that they were halted at, at very certain times because it wasn't Vince's idea. And when Vince wants to push you, Vince pushes you. But if the fans are behind you, it doesn't necessarily mean anything. That's why it took so long for Daniel Bryan's push to get to the top where it did. So I think we had an issue where it was the fans that didn't, that the fans that wanted live to win last year, but Vince wasn't ready for it. But now that we kind of cooled off on it a little bit this year, Vince is like, ah, yes, that's the one. Have her climb the ladder and win. God damn it. I, I'm I'm more than happy for her because you know that I've always been a Liv Morgan fan. I've been a Liv Morgan fan since she debuted on NXT, even when she was still green, because there was something about her that was authentic. There was something about her that we I felt we hadn't seen before. And you could tell that she just loved that she was being given the opportunity to perform in front of fans. And I think that resonated with people. So as far as her winning, I'm all for it. Fun little fact, too, Liv Morgan is now among only three people that have defeated Ronda Rousey via pinfall, the other two being Becky Lynch and Charlotte Flair. So she's whether she loses this title next week and gets released the week after, she's made history. She's one of three people to beat Ronda Rousey in a WWE ring. So hats off to her. Yeah, it was definitely a big night for Liv Morgan and Money in the Bank. As if you listen to the prediction show, I did predict Liv Morgan to win, and Alex, as you said, all of us were kind of in agreement last year around the same time that Liv Morgan was red hot and should have won the money in the bank last year, but more than likely, because it wasn't Vince's idea, it was the fans' idea of what they wanted, is why it didn't happen. And I said on the show, she should have won last year, so that's why she's going to win this year. Uh Lee, in regards to what you said about the last few months of the booking of Liv Morgan, I was never too concerned a future endeavors call was imminent. Because if you notice, ever since the Riot Squad had initially broken up in 2019, or split, I should say, when they moved Liv Morgan over to SmackDown, that, what was it? six, seven, eight-month period where Liv just wasn't on TV at all, wasn't mentioned. That is a time where I was more concerned we may have seen the last of Liv Morgan. But Liv Morgan has completely (laughs) reinvented her character. Uh, She has a large fan base. Uh, Whether you go on Instagram, see that or not, everyone loves Liv. (laughs) Uh, I I'm love Liv Morgan myself, honestly. I think she's great. I think she's improved a lot as a performer in her time as a singles competitor. I do worry. I do worry with this title reign because I feel the presence of somebody with a robe with peacock feathers lurking in the shadows. Woo! Yes, exactly my worry. Liv had nobody can take anything away from Liv Morgan at Money in the Bank. Like you said, Alex, she's one of only three women to pin Ronda Rousey, and the other two were Becky Lynch and Charlotte Flair. So she's in good company there. I do think WWE needs to cool down with cashing in the women's briefcase less than 24 hours in advance. 
You called this last week. Because this is five out of six times now. I don't know if it's a matter of they just don't want to book two money in the bank winners. They don't want two people carrying around briefcases. Whatever it is, let's please move on. It was a great moment at Money in the Bank. I enjoyed it. I'm glad to see Liv Morgan as SmackDown Women's Champion. But let's hold. Let's have people hold on to the briefcase a little bit. I'll agree to that. Because it was the first one out of that six that it was longer than 24 hours. The last five years, it's been less than 24 hours on each cash-in. It was a little random part of that stat that I had to know, by the way. Just completely random. Anyway, there is another superstar who is young and being pushed. A lot of fans, I feel like, aren't happy about this one. Which is why I brought up the the question, how do you guys feel about wrestlers being pushed, new young talent being pushed? And Theory is one of those talents, 24 years old. Youngest WWE United States champion in history. He's done a lot so far in the business. And what I mean by a lot... Vince McMahon himself doesn't come on screen. That's what she said for just anybody. That's what she said too. You know, it's a special thing for that to happen. We saw that with Drew McIntyre in his first run. If, if Alex, you remember, uh, he was Vince's golden boy or whatever the name was he had for him. He was the chosen one. Thank you. I don't know why I got the golden boy. Anyway. So he was the chosen one. And it seems we're spinning back the wheel and history is repeating itself because Vince McMahon sees something in theory. Now that night at Money in the Bank, Theory lost the United States Championship to Bobby Lashley, which I had predicted on our Money in the Bank prediction show. Go ahead and go back and listen to it, fans, on Apple Podcast. Just search us, Perched on the Top Rope. If you're listening to this episode, you should know how to already find us, so there you go. Hey! Anyway, where I was going with that was Theory is the it factor right now. He's the modern-day Miz, He gives me all those vibes of what The Miz was when he first came in. The wrestlers find him annoying. He's very pompous. He's an ass. He's full of himself. He's got an ego, very narcissistic. It's everything like The Miz was when The Miz first came in. And I mean, The Miz still is like that now, but The Miz had a punk rock-esque kind of look, and now he's all suited up. He's older. He's got a family. He's got kids. He can't dress like that anymore. Theory comes in, and he's got the fresh haircut. He's crisp. He's clean. He's a 10 out of 10 looks, jacked muscles. He's got it all going. Though he loses to Bobby Lashley like I, I had predicted Uh, After all, it was the 4th of July weekend, and Bobby Lashley is a military member. Thank you for your service, kind sir. We did see him win money in the bank. He got put into the match. 
by Adam Pierce. He was that to be determined that we, you know, there was, you know, he gets added. We're not thinking we all predicted it wrong because none of us knew theory was going to be in this thing. Theory wins. Theory's the guy that WWE seems to push. Theory also kind of told us when he plans on cashing in. Brock Lesnar versus Roman Reigns. Knowing what that match is going to contest of, he said on Monday Night Raw that he was going to cash in after that match. I feel like WWE wants to make him the youngest at everything. The youngest successful cash-in. I don't know if he becomes the youngest WWE champion. I know Randy Orton was also 24 years old, but this would come down to the days, the months on this one. Mm -hmm. I'd like to add to that real quickly. Um, With the fact that the Money in the Bank contract lasts a year or no longer, If Austin Theory, or Theory as he's called now, successfully cashes in his Money in the Bank contract, he will end up breaking one of two records. He will end up either breaking the youngest world champion in general, beating Randy Orton's record, or he will end up breaking the youngest WWE champion's record being held by Brock Lesnar. So as long as he successfully cashes in within the next year, one of those two records ends up being broken. Oh, wow. Thank you for that. I know I know my history, but I'm literally paired with two walking encyclopedias, ladies and gentlemen. Air high five, Justin. Yeah, I I was actually going to mention the uh, youngest AB title reign with Brock Lesnar. And believe it or not, I'm the oldest. I feel like I should know the most. But when these guys were in their prime for watching wrestling, I wasn't. Sorry. Anyway, I just wanted to see and get your guys' reactions when it comes to these younger talents being pushed. Speaking of that, you know, not just the young talents, but the celebrity pushes as well. Alex, I know you're a fan, a huge fan, actually, of bum-ass Corbin. I know you're also a fan of Pat McAfee. I know you really want to talk about this, so please drop the bombshell. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Before talking about that, I just want to take about two seconds to talk about theory like you were just a moment ago. Um, I absolutely love i'm among the minority of the people that love that theory was added to this match and i love that theory won the money in the bank briefcase because theory is currently getting heat like no other heel in wwe is right now and that's something that we haven't seen in a long time how often is it these days where you get a heel in wwe specifically because wwe fans specifically like to cheer the heels because it them basically telling Vince to suck it. So it's not often in WWE that you get a heel that actually produces heat these days anymore. And theory is that heel, which leads me to believe that theory is going to be the top heel in the company at some point. But I would like to say that theory reminds me of a different up and coming heel 
not the Miz, but one former Money in the Bank holder that did not get to cash his contract, and he, in fact, lost it to Edge. Fury reminds me of a very young Ken Anderson, also known as Mr. Kennedy. The brashness. Ah, oh, yes, he beat me to it. <laughs> the brashness that he has, along with his gimmick, his his selfie taking gimmick, reminds me of the microphone gimmick that Mr. Kennedy had. Everything that he's doing reminds me of how Mr. Kennedy was when he was coming up the ladder and he was beating world champion left and right. Theory is just gaining incredible heat which is going to eventually either in turn make him a huge baby face or it's going to put over another baby face. The other thing I want to admit to that I think is kind of funny is I really think it's hilarious how much the fans are hating on theory because he's just a guy that was just pushed by Vince and he didn't do anything. But if you pay attention to theory's background before he came to WWE theory was an indie guy. He was that type of guy that the fans love theory used to mix it up with guys like Keith Lee Mark Andrews, Ethan Page, uh, to name just a couple. He also uh, wrestled Roderick Strong, Fabian Eichner. These are guys he faced before coming to WWE. He faced a lot of indie talent. Willie Mack, just to name another couple few. He's he's mixed it up with a lot of these indie heartthrobs that everybody liked. I remember when Theory first got signed to NXT, everybody thought it was a huge signing. Everybody was super excited about it, especially coming after, after his run in Evolve, where he was arguably one of their top superstars. So I think it's funny that Theory's getting all this hate, but I absolutely love that he won Money in the Bank, and I hope he cashes in. I think my fun theory, no pun intended, as to how he should win the title, you should have Brock Lesnar and Roman Reigns absolutely destroy each other in the triple threat last not the triple threat, the one-on-one last man standing match at SummerSlam. But as they take each other out and you know they're not getting up for the 10 count, you have Theory walk out. You have him say, I'm cashing in money in the bank. And to get nuclear heat, you have him just stand there and do nothing while the other two get counted to 10. It becomes a triple threat last man standing match. Theory wins the undisputed championship by not even lifting a finger. He'd be the biggest heel in the industry. As much as I like that idea, Alex, I said even after Money in the Bank, I'm absolutely okay with Fury winning the Money in the Bank briefcase. All, all this hate, as you said, I don't know where it's coming from. Fury is obviously somebody who has paid his dues. In fact, if you remember correctly, he went, he came to the main roster, competed at WrestleMania in the Performance Center, had a little angle with Seth Rollins and Murphy in that stable, and then he was sent back to NXT. Obviously, that was for a little bit of the controversy that came. I'm not going to talk about it now. It's in the past. It's not It's not relevant news at the moment. But I think that NXT run really helped Fury, really helped him come out of his shell. And when he came up to Raw in the draft back this past fall, you know, I, I, felt, I felt it. I felt Fury was going to be a big star on the brand. You were already, from night one, putting him with guys like Jeff Hardy, Rey Mysterio, you know, working with them, even getting wins over them, uh, representing Raw in the Survivor Series tag team match. And around that time, obviously, I couldn't predict him before Money in the Bank to win because he wasn't added to the match. But around that time, back in November, I was saying, if Fury stays on the right track and they don't get bored of him, he's going to be the guy to win Money in the Bank next year. And as soon as 
the angle with Vince McMahon started. He started working with Vince McMahon every week on screen, which is very rare, especially for somebody as young as Fury and somebody that hasn't been on the main roster very long. That's a very rare honor to have to work with Vince McMahon every single week. But that would that just solidified it for me. I mean, you look everyone else, everybody else who came into the draft from NXT last last fall. Hit Row, they're on death row now. Zia Lee, she, she, she where, where is Zia Lee? <laughs> I haven't seen her. Is she a heel? Is she a face? I don't know. Protector of what? Ridge Holland, he, he holds Butch back, I guess. Yeah, Butch. <laughs> I don't want to talk and, about that. And he broke Biggie's neck. Oh, oh, yeah. Don't forget that one. But yeah, Theory, I'm excited for him. I'm glad he won. Like I said, I hope they don't rush it. I want them to take their time with this, even if it takes up to a year. I don't want them to, to rush it with somebody as young as Fury, and then it just kind of blows up in their face. I do have confidence in Fury. Once he does cash in, he will win, and he's going to be a big star for this company. Absolutely. But changing gears, um, at Money in the Bank, as the show went off the air, after the show went off the air, while Fury was still celebrating – we saw Happy Corbin take out Pat McAfee from behind while Pat was still at the commentator's desk, and we saw him beat the holy hell out of Pat McAfee. And this was a different side of Baron Corbin than I've seen. We've always seen Baron Corbin be a heel and attack people from behind. But I don't think I've really seen like an all-out slaughter. Let's be straight up, he slaughtered Pat McAfee after the show was over. So much so... That when Pat McAfee was seen at the UFC pay-per-view right after, he was already in a neck brace. It's just crazy. He went to the hospital, got a neck brace, came back. He did that in a very short amount of time. But, you know, you got to you gotta admire the professionalism to still show up with his bosses and watch a UFC fight. You love to see it. But specifically talking about the Corbin-McAfee rivalry, we're finally coming to a head. McAfee versus Corbin at SummerSlam, this is the match I've been waiting to see for over a year now. I don't know if this is actual long-term booking that they've planned since last year when Baron Corbin started the bum-ass Corbin stuff. But if it is, this is one of the few genius things that WWE has done in a very long time because they made this a long, drawn-out program. This has been going on for about a year now from when Baron Corbin lost all of his money and Pat McAfee was just kind of dumping on him left and right, almost to the point where it seemed like McAfee was healing it up. And I thought Corbin was going to be the baby face out of the two of them. And then we saw it die down again. And then recently I noticed that Pat McAfee started calling him bum ass Baron Corbin all over again. He, he would do it here and there, but he's been really, really driving it in just the past couple of weeks leading up to Money in the Bank, and I should have seen it coming. I thought it was just Pat McAfee being Pat McAfee and just taking shots at Baron Corbin like he likes to do. But now we've got it set that we're going to see the two of these men face each other at SummerSlam. I like it for both men. This is arguably one of Baron Corbin's biggest matches, which is sad because it's not against a regular performer on the roster, but this is a storyline with Baron Corbin that we can sink our teeth into. And WWE has been doing him no service for years when it comes to giving us something that we can sink our teeth into when it comes to Baron Corbin, Happy Corbin, Constable Corbin, Corporate Corbin, whatever the hell you want to call him. 
So I'm happy for the man. I'm also happy for Pat McAfee because Pat McAfee has shown that he can go in the ring. He's shown that in NXT, in war games, at WrestleMania, when he faced Theory, the man has shown that he can hang with not just people that have the same amount of experience as him, but also actual professional wrestlers who have been doing this for years. So this is already the match that I am most excited for for SummerSlam. Here's my thing. Pat McAfee has proven that he can be a heel or he can be a face. We've seen that with him in NXT. He gets on commentary and the man can speak. The man is phenomenal on the microphone. We hear it with his podcast. He's proven that he can go in the ring also, which just, this makes us even better, especially with WWE and Pat McAfee signing an extension. Now, I had no interest in a lot of what has gone on with Corbin. None at all. Like, I wasn't a fan of Happy Corbin. I wasn't really a fan of Bum-Ass Corbin, even though I thought it was funny that Pat McAfee was calling him Bum-Ass Corbin, even though it wasn't a legit name like the Ass Boys in AEW, a.k.a. the Gun Club. But, hey, that's how you know him. And that's how you know that 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 gimmick is Bum-Ass Corbin. That's how you're always going to know it. And that's thanks to Pat McAfee. Whether it's long-term booking, I'm, I'm not exactly sure that's the direction I think they were going with this, but I think somewhere in the writing room, someone went down the line and was like, you know, we've always had McAfee making fun of Corbin, and we kind of got nothing for him right now after he's, you know, now that he's done with Mad Cat Moss, why don't we go after the next best thing for him which would be the guy who's been busting on him the most Pat McAfee now if you want to talk long term booking I'm going to give you a long term thing and it's something that actually excites me there's people out there that don't think Pat McAfee is good on the microphone or as a commentator there's people out there that don't think Corey Graves is good as a commentator or on the microphone when they do Survivor Series I want to commentate a commentary team match. Corey Graves versus Pat McAfee. It is known Corey Graves is cleared to wrestle. He has chosen not to wrestle as far as we know, as far as he has said in interviews. What a hell of a return match for Corey Graves than a WWE pay-per-view and Pat McAfee. That's something fans would remember. Come on, Lee. You don't want to see the return of Michael Cole in that bright orange singlet? No. No, because I still count him losing at WrestleMania. No, 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 no. The records show that Michael Cole is undefeated at WrestleMania. Yeah, you show some respect. Well, the WWE record in Lee's head says Jerry Lawler won that match. And the decision was reversed by Hornswoggle, the anonymous Raw general manager, Lee. But, in all seriousness, I think this is going to be a good match at SummerSlam. Uh, there is also some, some kind of long-term story 
when you really look at it, because I believe Pat McAfee and Baron Corbin once played for the Indianapolis Colts, possibly at the same time in 2009. Yep. So that's something they can play off of and make video packages of. This is going to be a more promo-driven feud going into SummerSlam, I believe. Oh, and- for sure. You you know that Pat McAfee at some point is going to mention how he was the one that became successful on that team, whereas Corbin was given the future endeavored by the NFL. Absolutely. And, uh, Lee, as you said, some people don't believe Pat McAfee is good on the mic. And, and I would like to ask somebody why they believe that, because – the guy is just full of charisma every time he picks up a microphone. Even at the SmackDown TV tapings that I've been to, they literally have a segment called the McAfee Minute where McAfee will stand up on the announce table and just completely hype up the crowd during the commercial break. The guy's fantastic. But Baron Corbin, how I look at it, once he cut his hair, I lost interest. I was I loved Lone Wolf Baron Corbin. I hated that they squandered his money in the bank cash in just getting rolled up by Jinder Mahal. But I, I'm in agreement with you, Alex. I kind of like bum ass Baron Corbin last year. Mm-hmm. Little ketchup stain on the shirt, you know. Mm-hmm. Save that for it. later. That's his lunch. <laughs> yeah, King Corbin and Constable Corbin, which was the worst one of all. And Happy Corbin, I'm not too big on, but... King Corbin wasn't the worst, but it was dragged out for way too long. Yes. As all King of the Ring gimmicks are, with the exception of Xavier Woods, who really didn't get to enjoy his. Oh, yeah, they just dropped his just because, you know? Oh, yeah, you're King King of the Ring, but your partner's hurt, so you can't do that anymore. Yeah, so you're not King anymore. (laughs) Um, You can make your crown as part of your up-up-down-down set. But anyway... Uh, I'm excited for this match at SummerSlam. I think it should be fun. I agree. But speaking of SummerSlam, it almost seems like we're starting to prepare for another SummerSlam match. We are starting to see the beginning of a program between Riddle and Seth Rollins. Riddle hit an RKO on Seth Rollins this past Monday on Raw. He's been taking light jabs at him for a little while now. We know that these two have had legit actual heat in the past Due to some comments that have been made here and there, I believe it was originally between uh, Riddles at the time, wife and Becky Lynch getting into it on social media. And Riddle basically, I, from what I heard, I believe the heat started from Riddle not apologizing for his wife's comments towards Becky Lynch. Seth Rollins took it offensively. And there was a certain amount of time prior to last year's Survivor Series where Riddle refused to ever face Uh, Not Riddle, but Seth Rollins refused to ever face Riddle in a match. He didn't want anything to do with him, didn't want to be on television with him. But we saw that kind of change around Survivor Series last year when the two were on opposing Survivor Series teams. Riddle being on the Raw Survivor Series team and Seth Rollins being on the SmackDown Survivor Series team at the time before they ended up switching him back. They're starting to get involved more now, and it has been highly rumored that we are getting a one-on-one match between Riddle and Seth Rollins at SummerSlam. If Riddle wins this match, I've got to argue that this becomes his biggest one-on-one victory to date uh, when it comes to being on a bigger stage. Because yes, we saw him beat Randy Orton before they became RK Bro right after WrestleMania 37. 
We've seen some other big victories, but they've been on Raw and they've been like either short matches or they were never really built upon after he won certain one-on-one matches. I've got a feel with uh, SummerSlam being the second biggest show of the year. If Riddle wins this match, it's it's got to be argued that this is the biggest victory of his career. You know, he's a man. He's a man who was fired from the UFC with a four and O win streak at the time. I remember the match, Alex, where they had to work together, but Seth refused to do anything. And someone was, was like crawling to get the hot tag and, and, and Seth's entire team's hand is out and Seth has both hands on the top rope and he closed his eyes and pretended nothing was going on in front of him. If you remember correctly, I would, the commentators wouldn't mention it, but they had it on, they had him on camera like that. And then they quickly zoomed off him, you know, and went more towards the other, you know, corner of the post where the other two guys were to get off of Seth. Cause it just looked bad. I'd actually forgotten what the reason was. So thanks uh, for, for letting us know that. Well, it was really cool too, because they also turned that into a storyline for the match too, because that was right before Seth Rollins went off for paternity leave when him and Becky Lynch had their, their daughter. So they kind of worked it into a storyline where it also made it seem like Seth just wasn't doing anything because he had no hope that the SmackDown team could win at the time, but also in in real life, him and Riddle were still not on good terms. From what I've heard, that has changed since because they have competed in some matches together against each other. They have uh, had spots in the Royal Rumble, and and there has been some physicality between the two of them now. So So I would use that real-life heat in promos. We've seen what Seth can do in a promo. He's, He's fantastic. Riddle, Riddle's the one who I would say needs the work. I'm totally cool with, you know, saying bro as much as Vince Russo does, which fans we've interviewed Vince Russo. You can go to our YouTube page at youtube.com slash perched on the top rope and listen to that interview with Vince Russo. It's really cool. And you can uh, tally in on the bro counter. I just anyway. want one. I want one segment with Vince Russo, RVD, and Riddle all together. Just bro, 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 <laughs> bro. I would argue, Lowly, that since Randy has been out on injury, if you pay attention to Riddle on the mic, he has been taking it slightly more seriously lately. He still has that little bit of a stoner voice, but he's not accentuating it as much as he normally has been because I have a feeling that Riddle is on the slow ride that Daniel Bryan was on in 2013. They're in the middle of making him one of the biggest stars in the company right now. Yeah, he he definitely is, which is why when it comes to money in the bank, he didn't need it. it. It's written in the stars. He's going to get there. But there's just a lot of things that they have right now that they're doing. And for storyline purposes, it's not his time. His his time is to eventually win the Royal Rumble and win the world title at WrestleMania. Yeah. 
you know, I, I see this match. I guess it would be his biggest win. I mean, we have seen him get title opportunities, you know, be a raw tag team champion, things like that, you know, face Roman Reigns, you know, had all that stuff, but well, actually it was stripped, but whatever. Anyway, he he's been there. They've, you know, and with Randy being out, this is a good time to remind fans that Matt Riddle for all intents purposes was supposed to be a singles competitor. They used Randy to help elevate Riddle. It helped Randy Orton as well. But when that tag team split happens, and we know right now Randy's injured, they're foreshadowing what Riddle's going to do in the future right now. That's what it is. And yes, that match happens. I'm saying Riddle wins. I agree. Yeah, that match is uh, definitely looking very likely for SummerSlam. Actually, uh, Raw will be in Madison Square Garden, uh, the go-home show to SummerSlam, July 25th. Yours truly, Perch Correspondent, will be there. Of course you will. (laughs) But uh, Seth Rollins and Riddle is actually the dark match main event that is advertised at the moment. So they do have high hopes for this feud going into the show. And I think it's going to be a banger at SummerSlam. I think it'll be a nice, either you could put it as the opener, or you could put it as a mid-card match uh, to kind of cool, right before the cool-down match before the main event. Uh, probably third from the top, second from the top. And then, yeah, these two will tear the house down at uh, in Nashville. Mr. Booker over here planning the SummerSlam card already. Listen, a guy can dream, okay? <laughs> <laughs> That's fair. That's fair. He's been to so many shows. I think he knows how it works just from watching so much of it. <laughs> Absolutely. You, and you, you said a, a guy can dream, right? But also a guy can have nightmares. And no pun intended, we're not talking about Cody Rhodes when we bring up nightmares. But what a nightmare Finn Balor's run in WWE in general has become, guys. We're going to talk about this. This is a spot that you boys and I have been talking about off camera, off microphone for weeks, months, years now. Bad luck, Balor. We're going to play a little uh, play on Finn Balor's former Bullet Club stablemate, Bad Luck Fale here. And we're just going to we're going to flat out ask the question. Is Finn Balor bad luck in WWE? We have seen multiple times where Finn Balor should have been pushed to the top. But why does everything that Finn Balor touches in WWE turn to crap? The man is arguably one of the best in the world. He knows how to carry a gimmick. He knows how to carry a match. What did he do to piss off Vince McMahon since his time in signing with WWE? Because ever since he took over the Judgment Day and kicked Edge out of the group, it doesn't mean anything anymore. I don't know, pal. Maybe he's too Irish. You want to hear my reason? I would, because you're going to be blunt about it. And bluntness is what needs to be talked about when it comes to Finn Balor right now. Let me clear my throat. I'm afraid we've got some bad news. 
<sighs> God. That was actually terrible. I can do a lot better. I'm sorry. I've heard worse. Dude. I don't know so much if it's just Baylor's run in general. I don't know if it's WWE has, I don't want to say given up on him, you know, because it's been reported that WWE has seemingly given up on uh, Tommaso, even though we just see him now partnering with the Miz, which hopefully that does what Randy did for Riddle. But my, here's my thing. My thing has become, Why? We knew what Balor could do in New Japan. We saw that prior. This pretty much in my eyes started when he won the WWE Universal Championship but had to forfeit the the next day. And ever since then, just like Kevin Owens, it's like that title has a curse for some people Kevin Owens since winning has never had in my eyes, the same success Finn Balor due to injury had to forfeit it the next day. Ever since then, his run has been bleh with a capital bleh. He's and essentially getting the Dolph Ziggler treatment. Yes. Back in 2013, Dolph Ziggler won the world heavyweight championship and was concussed by AEW's Jake Hager in a triple threat match, and he was never seen the same way again. And if we're going to compare him to anybody, if we're going to compare Finn Balor to anybody, he's getting the same treatment that Dolph Ziggler's gotten. Thank you. And that's exactly pretty much where I was going with this. Uh, For a while, I would have said he had the the Jeff Hardy treatment. That's how I referred to it as. Uh, Finn Balor was a guy who would come in, get his pop, win a couple of small matches, but would lose all his major matches, go away for a little while, come back and do the same thing over again. The same thing Jeff Hardy was doing for a while. That's why I call it the Jeff Hardy treatment. But Finn, we would have thought him taking over Judgment Day would have been a big thing. It's now being shown that obviously Edge should have stayed as the leader. You know, now Rhea is injured and off TV, and it's Damian and Finn. Guys, they were just on freaking WWE fucking main event on Peacock. Like, the original intent was for Dark. Edge, Damian, Rio, I thought was a good fit. And then obviously WWE is going to WWE and totally change the plans. I'm not a fan of it. I'm not a fan of judgment day anymore. It doesn't have the same effect. It doesn't feel the same edge. I feel could be darker than Finn Balor because Finn Balor is not dark right now. I don't think the main Finn Balor compared to his demon character you know, if we're going to go dark, like I think that side needs to start coming out because him with a flipped over leather jacket, like he's Fonzie from 1950. Hey, Deuce and Domino were already here in 2008. See you later, Finn. It doesn't work. The dark thing is not working with this group. 
I don't know if it's because. Okay, I'm going to say this. Can either one of you guys name a Finn Balor promo that made you go, holy shit, and jump? No. No. Okay, neither can I. Can you name a Damien Priest promo that made you go, holy shit, that was awesome? Nope. Nope. So then you can kind of tell where the direction of this group is going. If you got two guys where their promos aren't coming across across as memorable or worth a damn, well, as we saw, you end up on main event. So, yeah, his career is not the same. Uh, it does not have the same excitement as it does when he was in NXT. It didn't have the same excitement when he first came up to the main roster, when he won the WWE Universal Championship, even though we clearly saw he was injured. Alex, Justin, I remember the pop. Do you remember the pop when he won that championship? He was the hottest superstar on the roster at that time on either show. Yeah. And then the next day on Raw, everybody was bummed. He had to uh, relinquish the championship. But the guy, the promos don't come across. They don't. Damien's, they, they, they don't come across. Edge's promos were doing great. With, with the dark character they had him in that chair they you know damien is on one side Rhea was on another it was shocking when all of a sudden he announces that finn is going to come down and then we see them attack edge like that's going to be the highlight of that group they kicked edge out i think if anything i think finn Balor joining the group was a good decision but i think they should have waited to turn on edge i think they should have waited down the road that could have been something that could have been held off towards WrestleMania of next year. It would have gave much more of a build to it, and it would have put Balor and Edge both in great spots. You would have given Damian more time to grow as a, not a performer, but as a performer on the mic because he was doing well. He was coming off across well, bouncing off of Edge on the mic. And that would have eventually picked up steam on Damien's end too, as time went on. So I think, I think Finn Balor joining the group was the right decision, but I think Ed should have stayed as the leader of the group for a little while longer. But I've also got to say that I feel like the reason Edge was canned from the group is because as we know with Edge's WWE contract that he has now, he's only signed on for a specific amount of dates per year. So they probably wanted to take him off of TV to save up some more of his dates of his contract. And what other way to do it? Kick him out of the group and have Finn Balor join. But the the whole idea is that this was supposed to eventually come to head with a Finn Balor versus Edge match, which I still want to see. But does this program have as much steam coming into it now with Edge coming back as it would have if they had held off on it a little longer? No, it doesn't. As you said, Alex, and I've, we've said it on the show before, when, when the segment initially happened with Balor joining the Judgment Day and Edge being removed, th- this shouldn't have been something that happened in one night. They, they should have built this over the course of a few weeks, especially when you have somebody like Rhea Ripley winning a Fatal 4-Way match that night. And obviously, in retrospect, that match didn't happen. But you can build th- this dissension within the Judgment Day where maybe Edge acts accidentally cost Damian Priest or Finn Balor a match. And then they're in Rhea's corner at Money in the Bank. 
and somehow Edge fucks something up and costs Rhea the title, and then they kick Edge out the next night because that would actually make sense. That's building a story. Here it's not building a story. The fact that they kicked Edge out on night one and called him the weakest link, so he had to be removed from the group, but instead they're going to put Finn Balor in his place. Why the fuck at Hell in a Cell would you have Edge pin Finn Balor in the winning fall of that match? It makes no fucking sense. There's no fucking way at Hell in a Cell they knew, oh yeah, we're going to add Finn Balor to this group tomorrow and Edge is going to be out. No, it was nothing like that. And the argument that, oh, maybe we want to do uh, save a few of Edge's dates. Yes, that's fine. I understand that. But you have Rhea there. You have Damian there who can continue to compete and keep the group relevant, cut promos if they need to, even if it's a backstage pre-tape. Do a few backstage pre-tapes with Edge. Why not? If you have him at the building, that's fine. But the direction of this group so far, it's shit. Well, the other thing that doesn't make sense, too, is with how quickly they kicked Edge out, the group had just begun, and the whole beginning precipice of the Judgment Day starting was originally built upon the feud between Damian Priest and Finn Balor. That was what slowly led to Edge having Damian Priest join him. It was the heel turn from Damian. Damian Priest turned heel on Finn Balor when Finn Balor won the United States Championship from him. So you you have Finn Balor in a feud with Damian Priest where he just lost the title, and they're, they've got basically a blood feud going on, and then he also takes the pinfall to Edge. So that's two people in the group that Finn Balor has got his ass kicked by. And it, it wasn't just like, hey, I just lost a match. Like They legitimately had beef. And then he's just going to join them. Yes. And look, I know Rhea's out. I, we don't know how long she's going to be out. We don't know when she's going to be back. But that's no reason just put this group on ice and not care and just do whatever you want. Why are they on main event? Why are they losing to the Mysterios? Not that there's any fucking shame in losing to Rey Mysterio, because there's not. But they're booked as geeks, whether it's on main event whether, if, whether it's on Raw, we saw on the most recent episode of Raw where they lost with the Eddie Guerrero tribute by Ray smacking the mat with the chair and throwing it to Finn Balor. That's such a spit in the face to Finn Balor as a competitor. Why? I don't, I don't get it. And I'm sure the idea was, oh, we'll do this backstage segment where Finn and Damian attack the Mysterios to get their heat back. But it doesn't get their heat back. They look like geeks. And what, what is this uh, gear that Finn Balor's wearing that I saw with the long tights and the purple handkerchief hanging out of the back? What is that? That's the Jeff Hardy look. Oh, my God. Well, I guess Lee's right. He is in the Jeff Hardy position. But the, the Finn Balor's run in WB has been... Awful. Honestly, in a way, it's been frustrating. <laughs> you have him win the Universal title. He is the first ever Universal Championship champion, whether... He held it for a day, a week, a month. In this case, it was a day. He's still the first ever Universal Champion. He comes back, and you know what? Maybe this is where it went wrong. Brock Lesnar was the Universal Champion when Finn Balor came back, so he couldn't get that rematch. It took until Royal Rumble 2019 to get that match with Brock Lesnar. Three years. Almost three years. And after three years, there's not much momentum after that. Yes, they, they've gave him, given him the IC title a few times, the U.S. title. And I'm sorry, Finn Balor's U.S. title reign from this year was 
absolutely forgettable. It's one of the more forgettable title reigns in recent history. Which is a shame, too, because the man looked good with the title, too. Yeah, and it was good that they had him go to NXT. I was I had very high hopes for that heel turn when he turned on Johnny Gargano and Tommaso Ciampa in that one segment, and then they turned him back face way too soon to have him feud with Walter, and then the feud never happened because COVID hit and Walter couldn't come to the States. But then they bring him back to the main roster. And I said, please, for the love of God, do not throw him at Roman Reigns. What's the first thing they do on week two? Throw him at Roman Reigns when they have no intention on having him win. And then the demon character is completely killed. You know why? Because he lost to Roman Reigns by fucking falling off the top rope, which also has had had no follow-up to that. What happened? Why the top rope break? Did somebody lose it? What happened? Now, do you know do you know when that Prince gimmick was absolutely destroyed and made to look non-credible was when they had the contract signing between Finn Balor and Roman Reigns and John Cena just slipped in and signed the contract. That was the that was the end from there on out. I love Cena. Don't get me wrong, I've always been a Cena fan even when people weren't and they could have gotten to that match an entirely different way. They didn't need to bury Balor the way that they did, but to make him look like a chump who just got thrown out of the ring and then Cena came in via uh, Shawn Michael-esque way and just signed the contract, it made it made Finn Balor look like a geek, like you said that the Judgment Day looked like. Oh, Alex, the contract signing. I'm so glad you brought that up. I'm so glad you brought that up. Let's you talk know, about it, brother. Listen, after that contract signing, after John Cena took that match from Finn Balor, for weeks, Finn Balor came on SmackDown and very subtly he would say, I'm not done with John Cena. I have a bone to pick with John Cena. He may be gone right now, but I am not through with him. John Cena showed up on Raw last week. And where the fuck was Finn Balor to follow up on that? Nothing. Not interrupting Cena, not calling him out for taking his fucking title match last year. Not a god, oh, not a word of it. Now I'm frustrated. Finn Balor has me frustrated. He was getting ready for his match on main event. Oh, fuck off. (laughs) So, I hate to be the bear of bad news, but why don't we change things up a little bit? Why don't we, why don't, yeah, why don't we calm Justin down, Alex, from having this little, this little tissy over Finn Balor? Go ahead. I've got one more thing that we need to talk about because this is this is important. The last thing we're going to talk about WWE-wise, but it's probably the most important thing of the week when it comes to WWE. This week, Thursday, July 7th, 2022, Paige's WWE contract ran out. Paige is yeah. officially done with WWE. She has been with WWE for about 11 years she has been with wwe since about the age of 18 Paige and i are almost the same exact age so i've been watching her since i was basically a legal adult when it comes to wwe and coming up on her 30th birthday just like i'm getting close to myself Paige is no longer with wwe the wwe officials decision makers vince mcmahon whoever it was decided that with her not being an in-ring competitor in their company anymore due to her injury that they were not going to renew her contract. 
And she had the Players' Tribune put out a huge article today. Not today, but uh, they had her put out a huge article this week where she basically said thank you to the WWE. She thanked a bunch of people from AJ Lee to the Bellas to Edge Daniel Bryan because of their injuries and how they were able to come back. But the one big thing that she said thank you for was the fact that WWE gave her an entire segment to announce her retirement because she said, and I quote, they even gave me a full segment on Raw to announce my in-ring retirement. I'll cherish that for the rest of my life, not just getting to make the announcement like I did, but also the respect it showed on WWE's part that they viewed me as worthy of that kind of treatment, the kind of treatment normally reserved for an Edge, a Daniel Bryan, a Shawn Michaels, or a Triple H. They viewed me as someone who built a legacy of her own. And I've got to say, with the exception of Gail Kim and Awesome Kong and TNA back in the day, Paige is one of the two people that actually started the women's revolution, at least in WWE, at least the way that WWE saw women. Her and Emma in that unforgettable NXT Women's Championship match back when NXT was basically still a baby, where they started taking women seriously again. Paige, no matter what she does, if she never wrestles again, is going to be a legend at the age of only 29 right now is going to be a legend and one of the biggest women's legends in pro wrestling history. I'm sad to see her leave WWE because even though WWE can WWE, I always had big hopes that Paige was going to be the biggest women's star in WWE. It's just everything from the way she talked onto the mic to her gimmick had me hooked from day one. I just want to gather both of your thoughts on Paige leaving WWE. I'd known for a while this was happening. I think we all did. Uh, it was, she had done her stuff. I think things that might have hurt a little bit were the, you know, AJ Lee like things of being the anti diva, but that also helped in the women's evolution you know she wasn't part of the four horse women she wasn't one of like those main you know character-esque types that are part of the that group and surrounding it but she was a phenomenal talent i know she's been training again and hopefully we see her in a ring soon and when justin is done i have some groundbreaking news Ooh. Well, let me just give my input quick and we'll get to that. So it's unfortunate how Paige's run ended. Uh, There was a lot of buzz and hype behind Paige even before she debuted on the main roster in NXT as the anti-diva. You know, her debut on Raw the night after WrestleMania, her defeating AJ Lee, the longest reigning Divas champion at that time for the title. You don't get many debuts like that, especially somebody who's... uh, just showing up on TV for the first time. This is their first exposure to the live WB main roster crowd. You know, before Paige showed up, there wasn't much uh, crossover with NXT and the main roster back in 2013, 2014. But she had another Divas title reign after that. She won the title back from AJ Lee at SummerSlam after AJ Lee had taken the title from her. 
Uh, and obviously you had her at WrestleMania, her and AJ teaming against the Bellas. She had her WrestleMania moment, which is nice. And then Team PCB later on. And after Team PCB dissolved, it kind of seemed like Paige was more of a background player after that. She didn't do much. She suffered the neck injury. And at the same time, I won't get into everything that happened, but we, we are aware of her relationship with Alberto Del Rio, Alberto El Patron, where, whichever you want to go by. Uh, you know, Paige was gone for a little over a year, came back, uh, had absolution with Mandy Rose and Sonya Deville debuting. And unfortunately, that injury that did her in happened. Uh, had a retirement speech night after WrestleMania, same building she won the Divas title in on Raw. And there just hasn't been much of her since. She had a run as the SmackDown GM for a bit, and then she managed the Kabuki Warriors. But after that, she did the WWE backstage show for a bit until that was canceled, and she's kind of been off the map since then. I do think Paige will wrestle another match. I would personally like to see at some point on the indies, possibly a Saray, a Saray, excuse me, not Saray, Saraya and Tennille Dashwood match, uh, just as a nice little tribute to that NXT arrival match that kicked off the women's revolution. So you're going to yeah. miss her, huh? Okay, I guess he's going to miss her. Yeah. So anyway, Hopefully we see her soon. Uh, wink, wink. I know Justin Correspondent knows a little something I'm talking about. Maybe a little autograph signing or something along those lines with Paige. Maybe like uh, coming in uh, October, wink, wink. Anyway, speaking of corresponding and correspondence, we have some groundbreaking news. Y'all ready for this? Let's hear it. Felt my phone vibrate while we were doing this. Get a little update from Fightful Select on Sasha Banks and Naomi. Oh, let's hear it. So, according to PW Insider, on Thursday, July 7th, it's been noted that Naomi and Sasha Banks were removed from the internal WWE roster. It has been learned that Sasha Banks and Naomi have been removed from other internal rosters as far back as weeks ago. However, it's been prompted for WWE's digital end, apparently not to remove them from the official website roster. It's a little confusing. Uh, however, we have seen WWE edit a Sasha Banks sign that was on WWE television. Now, the initial report of Sasha Banks' release came from Wrestling Inc.'s Raj Jiru, who's the owner of the company. Uh, he had confirmed this with a bunch of talent, uh, though WWE officially has not confirmed it themselves talent relations has not sent out 
an internal email notifying talent of the release. However, when Fightful asked a WWE rep Thursday, they were told it was pretty quiet on that front and they weren't sure what was going on. Uh, many seeking answers regarding uh, Jiru's tweet that Sasha had been released uh, put out last month regarding VP of Business and Legal Affairs for Talent Relations, Erica Schreiber, apparently had a helping hand in Sasha's release. Uh, there's little information on her, and WWE did not respond when Fightful asked about that person by name and their role in it. WWE Creative is operating on the assumption that Naomi and Sasha Banks are not returning whatsoever. A member of the creative team said that they've not heard any contingency plans or creative prepared in the event that things come together. So still as of right now, there is no idea if Sasha and Naomi are going to return. It's also not known if apparently they are with the company. This would tell me if read correctly, which I know how to read. Is it yes? <laughs> Screw you, Alex. <laughs> is that Sasha Banks is in fact no longer with the company. That's my assumption. So well, it's that. also been it's been rumored that Sasha hasn't been with the company for a couple of weeks now, but they didn't really want it to go public yet because they're trying to smooth things over. I yeah. feel like I feel like Naomi uh, you said in the article everything's being kept pretty quiet, but I think it's kind of a foregarden. Yeah. Thought you were going to continue, Alex. Okay. Well, anyway, we have something. Fuck. All right. I'm going to have to edit this part because that's. Yeah. Not I... There was like a glitch there. So I, when you said you're going to continue, I hadn't been talking for a minute at that point. There was like a glitch because Justin glitched too. Yeah. Mine was completely glitched. Yeah. Neither of us were talking when you said that. So that's why I got confused. Okay. All right. And just take it as it is and move on. Sorry about that. That wasn't our fault. That was Zoom. Well, let's take it away from WWE, guys, and let's bring things over to our perch correspondent, Justin Largito. And he can tell us what it was like to be in Rochester, New York for AEW Dynamite. And I think uh, we're not going to say it, but spoiler free is not the way to be and that's your warning folks because you're also about to get AEW Rampage spoilers for this Friday yes so I was in attendance for AEW Dynamite this week 
at the Blue Cross Arena in Rochester, New York. Uh, before I continue, guys, have you ever been to the Blue Cross Arena? Yes, yeah. I have. Do you guys think this arena is in a need a little, needs a little bit of an update or a renovation? Let me take the reins on that one. So a few years ago, I believe it was around 2018, 2019, I saw Bruce Springsteen at the Blue Cross Arena. My dad, my sister, and I went. Not only is the the Blue Cross Arena in like, I wouldn't say it's a difficult to get to venue, but it's right in the middle of where there's a lot of stuff going on in downtown Rochester. So if you have a huge attraction going on at that venue and there's also just regular traffic going on in the city, it's kind of a pain in the ass to get into the building. But I can handle that. I've been, I've lived in bigger cities before. I've lived in Albany. I've lived in Rochester. I've lived in Syracuse, New York. I've lived in some bigger cities where I'm used to a ton of people. But my problem was when we got to our seats, we weren't necessarily too far away from Bruce Springsteen. We were like in some of the upper seating areas, but the way that this arena is set up is weird because most of the like regular arenas that you would see like a raw, a SmackDown, a dynamite at, they're very like circular to where even if you are sitting in the upper seats, you have a good view of the attraction that's going on, but it's almost like the blue cross arena. It's like, everything's angled. It's like, it's, it's got this weird angle to it and it makes it sometimes difficult to see the attraction that you're there to see for, or at least it did for us for Springsteen. Like I said, we weren't that far away from him, but like, it was hard to see him. It was weird. It's hard to see through the people too in that arena. Okay. I was That's just asking because, because on my way out, I did spot like quite a bit of pay phones and I was wondering when the last time this arena got some kind of renovation. Yeah, not in a very long time. I, I lived in Rochester for a couple of years and they have not done much with that arena. Yeah, it was very noticeable uh, at AEW Dynamite. But I was at AEW Dynamite this past week in Rochester, New York at the Blue Cross Arena. And we have a new TNT champion coming out of that show. We have Wardlow, who defeated Scorpio Sky in a street fight to win the championship. This wasn't much of a street fight, though. I think the only reason this stipulation was tacked on was only so American top team could interfere in the match. Dude, I'm a fan of this 1,000%. Is it too soon? I know that's been asked in some of the AEW uh, Facebook groups. I don't. I do think that there's something cool that they are doing with the TNT Championship, though. And that is every time somebody wins it, they get like their own decorative championship out of it. Like it's made their way. Yeah. As far as the, the stipulation so that people could come in and interfere. We have watched Wardlow run through various security guards left and right, but how cool was it to see some of our own independent local guys there? Jay Freddie was alongside Scorpio Sky and the team. Like, that was awesome. 
you know, we know Jay Freddie from Excite Wrestling out of Binghamton. We know him out of 2CW from Syracuse, New York. The man's been to Japan. He's wrestled on AEW Dark. So it was really cool to see him on AEW Dynamite. So good for him. I thought the match itself was good. I love the way Wardlow power bombs somebody and then to power bomb them again, like still holding onto their feet, like rolls them over, brings them back, throws them up and down they go. Yep. You know, it's really, really cool to see. So I'm going to be interested to see what happens next for Wardlow. Will he, you know, what kind of champion are we getting? Is he going to do some sort of, I'm a fighting champion. I need to prove myself champion. They seemingly, even though he has lost matches, he's lost eight to be a, a, as a matter of fact, but this run, you know, the way he comes out to the ring, his mannerisms, his taunts, the way he acts, I'm getting like a mini Goldberg vibe out of him, but cooler. I agree. You know, um, I, I love that Wardlow is champion because, I mean, I would prefer that he become world champion, but I could see where the fan base would say that it's too soon for that. But at the same time, they had to find something to do while he is not able to be part of the world title scene at the time because obviously at this point in time, that is being held down by interim world champion John Moxley and... AEW world champion CM Punk when he returns we're obviously going to get a unification match between the two of them MJF is still in the works he's gonna end up coming back he's most likely in my opinion gonna be inserted into the world title scene come all out so it seems like the world title picture is a little busy for the time being it's a little crowded and so in the time frame, this is the perfect spot for Wardlow. But let's also look at it on the flip side and the other side. I personally hope that this is also the end of the men of the year stable. I have liked what Scorpio Sky and Ethan Page have done for each other in their time together because it helped Ethan Page get his feet wet in AEW after debuting. It also helped Scorpio Sky raise his stock a little bit but let's be honest, Scorpio Sky can be a star on his own. Ethan Page, he's still getting there. He, I think, would be a good mid-card star to vie for the TNT Championship itself. And I think he could work his way up as well. But I personally think Scorpio Sky has, like, he, he looks like a movie star when he's on television on AEW. So with that look in and of itself, I think he's got a bright future ahead of him. And everybody's been saying that since his time in SCU. So I would like to also see after this match that the men of the year gimmicks and their alliance with American top team ends. You have Scorpio sky go on his own. I personally think he's a better baby face than he is a heel. And you could even run a, a feud between him and Ethan page and you could have Scorpio sky move on from there. Yeah, and that looked like it was kind of the direction a few months ago where they were kind of teasing Scorpio going face and possibly having a feud with Ethan Page for the TNT title as a heel. Uh, and then they kind of abandoned that. I don't know if this was the reasoning for that, going into this plan with Wardlow winning the title, but I do think the TNT title is a good starting point for Wardlow in this push. Wardlow wins. Confetti just storms all over the Blue Cross Arena. 
And Wardlow goes up the ramp, celebrates with the title. You have Pyro and everything. Wardlow is going to be a big star for this company. Eventually, he will make it to the world title. And I'm excited to see where Wardlow goes from here because he does have a bright future. Agreed. 100% agreed. And then there were a few things sprinkled in here. We had the debut of Roosh going over Penta Askiro. Also... Our hearts were broken on dynamite when the gun club and daddy ass turned on the acclaimed. Rest in peace, scissor me, daddy ass. But I That's am the excited. sound of the scissoring. Scissor me, daddy. <laughs> oh man. Hopefully nobody walks into the room while uh, this is playing. I mean, I don't care. <laughs> anyway. Uh, I am excited to see the acclaimed as faces. It was definitely a long time coming because... Dude, it's what it's meant to be since they sh- then, since they arrived. They are arguably, aside from the Young Bucks and FTR, they are arguably the most popular tag team in AEW. The only reason that they have not been pushed to greater heights is obviously because of the controversy with Max Caster about a year or so ago when he was rapping about some things that he shouldn't be. But those two are gold. They are money. They are merch money. They are ticket money. They can carry that tag team division when eventually FTR and the Young Bucks decide to step down. Yes, it is no secret. Everybody loves the acclaimed. And I think we definitely have tag team champions in the making with Max Caster and Anthony Bowens. And by the way, screw you, Austin Gunn, for taking the mic away from Max Caster. We didn't get a rap in Rochester last night, and that really bothered me. So fuck you, ass boys. You should have jumped him. (laughs) Thought about it. Anyway, then in the main event, we had Brody King challenging Jon Moxley for the AEW Interim World Championship. Definitely a nice little showcase for Brody King, I thought, and this was kind of his first dip into the singles competition aspect in AEW. I know he's competed a few times on Dark and Dark Elevation as a singles guy, but This was definitely his most featured match as a singles competitor in AEW, and he did not disappoint. Uh, Obviously, Jon Moxley, he retained the AEW Interim World Championship, still building to the eventual match when CM Punk makes his return at some point later this year. After the show, to note, Brody King did get a little bit of a standing ovation. A lot of respect shown to Brody King after the match. Uh, We saw Malachi Black come out. As they were both walking up the ramp, we saw Sting and Darby Allen. Obviously, Brody King won this shot at the AEW Interim World Championship by winning the Rampage Rumble this past week on Rampage uh, by eliminating Darby Allen, last eliminating Darby Allen. Uh, and they had somewhat of a little stare down. Darby Allen offered a handshake to Brody King, and Brody King walked off with Malachi Black and refused. So, Looks like they're building to the House of Black versus Darby Allen and Sting in a tag team match. I don't know if that'll be at Fighter Fest within the next few weeks because we had the Fighter Fest night one and night two announced and a few matches along with that. Or this is going to be a longer term thing and maybe we get the match at all out. I know Buddy Matthews is injured currently. And I don't, as far as I'm aware, there's no timetable for his return. But. Uh, looks like that's a program that looks to be happening. I, I think it's going to be goth with attitudes. I'm not feeling the dudes with attitudes. 
it's not bleach blonde hair sting anymore. You're the crow. You're the crow. Like you were in 96 from the movie. You're an adaptation of the crow. How would, how he's, how the man's never been sued for copyright infringement or gimmick infringement, honestly, with, with the sting character baffles my mind at this point, but it is what it is. Sting and Darby should not be dudes with attitudes like Sting and Lex Luger were. Different ages, different times. Goth with attitude seems a lot better. Be real. If this match happens, I want House of Black all the way. I want the more darker team. I want the more sinister, vile team to win. That is not Sting and Darby Allen. It's not. Sting is there to elevate Darby. And jump off of stuff. Yes. Yes, and jump off of stuff. Darby is essentially what Sting does, but needs Sting to help elevate him. And also jump off of stuff. Yeah. So that's what, I mean, House of Black has to win. Sting and Darby can afford the L. Quick note I'd like to make about House of Black, too, is you see all these stables that debut in multiple different companies that always say that not there's no leader of this group we're all equals but that never ends up being the case there always ends up being a leader yes alistair black or malachi black as he's known as in aew now is like the leader of house of black but this is like one of the few stables i feel like that actually gives each member a chance to shine like we've seen Brody King be able to shine now in his match with John Moxley, while Malachi Black is currently working lower in the card with his ongoing feud with Pac still going on. He's he's noted recently too that he still intends to go after Pac and the All Atlantic Championship. So I I really like that they give other members a chance to shine in this group, which I'm I'm very convinced that they will do the same with Buddy Matthews when he returns. So it's it's nice to actually see a group that says we're all for each other that actually means it. Yeah. And that's definitely. my two cents on that. And like Lee said, we're going to go a little bit into the Rampage spoilers for this week. They did announce all the matches on Dynamite. The show started with uh, Eddie Kingston taking on somebody who's been getting featured a lot on AEW television recently and having some standout performances of... Uh, Kanosuke Takeshita, you know, we've seen uh, Kanosuke against Hangman Page, which was a very good match going on double or nothing. And this match was no different. This was uh, another breakout performance for him. Uh, Definitely the best match on Rampage this week. I definitely recommend checking it out. And it is the opening match this week because they did film the entrances to air on the first five minutes on social media, which has kind of been their gimmick uh, for Rampage the last few weeks we also saw a little bit of roh representation jonathan gresham and lee moriarty against the gates of agony with telly blanchard interestingly enough and i was actually pretty surprised jonathan gresham turned heel on this show leaving lee moriarty and joining with telly blanchard i love it i I was very surprised by that especially since Gresham has kind of been working the indies as a face for the last few months as ROH has been on hiatus. And it looks like maybe we get 
Jonathan Gresham and Lee Moriarty for the world title at Death Before Dishonor? Because let's be real, there's only two weeks to build the pay-per-view, and there's not really anyone else. Well, Gresham- Tony, Tony Khan's been pretty big about trying to make Lee Moriarty a star in the Ring of Honor portion of the show now. I like from final battle on, it's been very self-evident that Liam Moriarty is part of Tony Khan's plan for ring of honor going forward. So I think this is a perfect match. It's going to be a hell of a match there. There's going to be some hard hitting fucking punches and kicks. And it's, it's just going to be, it's going to be a good time. Yeah. uh, Jonathan Gresham with totally Blanchard going forward. I think that's definitely very interesting. And I'm, Curious to see where that goes. Uh, and again, with the ROH representation, because after that, we had Mercedes Martinez, who is the current Ring of Honor Women's World Champion, teaming with Serena Deeb. Now, we've seen them team before, and I thought it was kind of out of nowhere the first time they teamed. But it looks like it's building to something, because after the match, they defeated two local competitors. But after the match, Serena Deeb had turned on Mercedes Martinez and held up the ROH Women's World title. So it looks like that may be the women's program going into Death Before Dishonor. And I'm, I would imagine it probably is. Hell yeah. Just put a title on Serena. She's like, she's and yeah, that, The only that thing that that woman needs is she, she needs a manager, though. Because like I said in the past, she, in my opinion, is the women's equivalent to Dia Malenko. She can out-wrestle almost anybody, but she can't cut a promo to save her life. Yeah, I definitely agree with that. She would definitely benefit from a mouthpiece to be with her. But going to the main event of AEW Rampage, we had Orange Cassidy taking on Tony Nese with Smart Mark Sterling. The stipulation being, if Orange Cassidy had lost to Tony Nese, he would have to sign the petition to get rid of Shane Strickland from AEW. And unfortunately... A signature was not added to that petition on Rampage. Uh, fun match between Orange Cassidy and Tony Nese. Uh, at some point, some I don't know where security was during all this, but there was some child who had his face painted and had a blazer and a tie on who jumped over the rail and acted as Orange Cassidy's manager. I don't know what that was all about, but Orange Cassidy won. Fun match, like I said. But that's all of Rampage this week. We had a little bit of build towards Death Death Before Dishonor and a little bit of AEW mixed in between. But a guy who was not on this show at all, and as we know, more is coming out in regards to this. Brian Danielson, who obviously had to pull out of the Forbidden Door show and Blood and Guts, is looking to be out longer than expected. And at this point, no timetable for the return. Uh, More than likely, this is concussion-related, which concerns me quite a bit, knowing Daniel Bryan's, excuse me, Bryan Danielson's history with concussions. Yeah, he, uh, it is what it is. You know, we we saw him with the leg thing. AEW's got some bad luck right now. A lot of guys injured. A lot of guys injured. A lot of top guys injured. Here's the thing, though, is the leg thing also might not be the real injury. It's been well noted that Brian Danielson recently 
suffered from another concussion. It most likely happened during the Anarchy in the Arena match, and that is the real reason he is not cleared currently. He originally said it wasn't going to be too much longer before he came back, but now it's starting to look like he's going to be out longer. Here's the real question, though. If Brian Danielson, if this concussion is worse than we expect, and worst case scenario, this ends up being the end of Brian Danielson competing in a ring, does he have a legacy that was left behind in AEW specifically? Obviously, he has a legacy that was left behind in WWE as a future WWE Hall of Famer. Did his AEW run measure up if this is the end of him wrestling for that company? Yeah. You know, with Daniel Bryan, I know he hasn't been in AEW very long. It hasn't even been a year yet, showing up at All Out last year. He's done a lot in a short period of time and a lot of banger matches on top of that. He's had time limit draws with Kenny Omega and Adam Page, a one half hour draw and one hour draw, uh, respectively. And then I was lucky enough to be in attendance for the first AEW show this year. That was the debut on TBS, where they had Brian Danielson and Hangman Page for the AEW World Championship. And the crowd was red hot during that match. Just fantastic. And everything that's been done with the Blackpool Combat Club in the last few months, I think it's great. You know, especially with the addition of Claudio Castagnoli. I would love to see Brian Danielson able be able to come back and be a part of that because I don't want to see him just go away and fade away because you know there's so much more he could do. We want that Brian Danielson and Kenny Omega rematch at some point when both guys are healthy. We want to see Daniel Bryan hold the AEW World Championship at some point. But, like I said, with his concussion history, it's definitely going to be a more cautious road from here with him. Definitely. If if not, the end of it already. You know, I remember Lee and I talked so much shit about the name of the Blackpool Combat Club when it first came out. But this is arguably my favorite stable in professional wrestling right now. So... I mean, even if this is the end of Brian Danielson in AEW, I think in the short time that he was there, he made an extreme impact. And speaking of impact, Lee, I know you had some stuff that you specifically wanted to talk about regarding impact wrestling. Lee, the floor is yours. So Jordan Grace decides to quote tweet somebody, guy Robert O'Neill. And the tweet is, it's always wild listening to wrestlers discuss Chris Benoit in a professional context because they always be sure to know they aren't excusing what happened before praising his in-ring stuff for 10 minutes. Except New Jack. That's the tweet. That's fair. I mean, New Jack basically said, nah, fuck that guy no matter what. And meant it. So Jordan Grace of Impact Wrestling, former digital media champion, quote tweets this and says, this is going to be the coldest take I ever tweet on this app. I already know y'all going to be mad. I don't think Benoit could 100% hang with most of the present day best wrestlers. He would not be able to remember matches. Also, may he burn in hell. Amen. That's what Jordan Grace writes. 
Now, depending on your take, you can take it how it is. Chavo Guerrero, a known friend to Chris Benoit, tweets, I think at Jordan Grace, just lost a lot of wrestling credibility from some of her comments. Now, obviously, she's had other wrestlers and fans come in and tweet at her about this. However, there's something to be said about it because when it comes to Chris Benoit, I'm somebody who you did the world dirty. You shouldn't be praised for anything. But then, I mean, obviously, if you go and you watch Dark Side of the Ring, we're sitting here praising guys who have done the same, if not worse. Vince McMahon, Superfly Jimmy Snuka. I already brought him up. New Jack. And the list goes on and on. Hardbody Harris of WCW, who's currently serving life in jail for human sex trafficking. Look at the Me Too movements that wrestling has had. You know, so a lot of these wrestlers that, you know, we watch on television, there's still a lot of bad ones out there that, you know, have, you know, done some pretty bad things. I mean, Booker T's been to jail for for robbery, but Booker T is, you know, from what we see is a changed man. So MVP's been to jail. Yeah, you know, so you can't just judge a book by its cover, but in some of these circumstances, we have some really, really, really bad people. Benoit's one of them. So for me personally, if you want me to sit here and, and say, well, you know, there's two different people from Chris Benoit in the ring and Chris Benoit outside of the ring. Well, Chris Benoit inside the ring might have done great work as everybody likes to talk Chris Benoit outside of the ring killed his family killing your family discredits anything positive you've ever done in this world because you've done the most unthinkable thing the the family that you're supposed to love and protect and you put them to sleep you choke the life out of them no, you don't you don't get praised anymore. You don't get thanked by fans. You don't get happy birthdays. You you don't get any of that. You shouldn't get any of that. Everyone wants to say, well, there's a difference between inside the ring and outside of the ring. You're right, inside the ring, that's their job. They're doing a job. I don't judge a person for being a great baseball player in Major League Baseball. I don't judge Derek Jeter or Aaron Rodgers or this guy, Michael Jordan, Shaq, for who they are on the basketball court or or the diamond or the football field. I judge them for the moral character that they show outside of their sport. Shaq is always giving back. This guy does this. This guy does that. There's tons of instances where you can see where professional athletes give back. Chris Benoit killed his family, the end. There, there's no credibility because everybody in this instance is going now trying to pull the Rocky Balboa here because she said he couldn't hang with the modern-day wrestlers 
because one, he couldn't remember how the match is supposed to go for whatever reason, or the fact that this talent is at a level, but what he did outside of the ring, we discredit that level. And I discredit all of it. Like it's like, it's wiped away just like WWE did with it. Although you can't erase history. It's he's always part of the record book. He's just Voldemort now of WWE. He's the name we do not dare speak. But the problem with the tweet is because she said he couldn't hang with modern day wrestlers. So everyone from the WCW days to Chris Benoit joining WWE from the radicals to the rabid Wolverine to, to the end of his career. No, it's all wiped away. It's it's it. You can't erase it from the history books but he discredited himself from everything. Everything he's ever done, he's discredited himself because of a heinous act he pulled. If you can defend him in the ring, but sit there and say, well, I hadn't, you know, I, I, I don't encourage what he did. No, you shouldn't fucking encourage murder, you dumbass. Of course you Yeah, go kill your family. Go see if it gets you in the WWE Hall of Fame. Woohoo! No, man, you're not going in the WWE Hall of Fame. He's never going in the WWE Hall of Fame. Oh, but that's just his personal life. Yo, the same reason why China is not going in the WWE Hall of Fame, because she was caught on film, stretching her vag and taking it in the ass. Not going in by herself. No, she's not going in by herself. She's already in with DX and people are like, well, she needs to go in alone. What she did after her career in WWE's eyes, discredits her. I don't discredit the sex work industry, but for a show that's geared towards kids, yeah, they're they're not going to want that representing the company. Lee, here's where I'm I'm not going to disagree with you, but I'm going to take this from another angle as well. I agree 100% with everything you just said. Chris Benoit is a piece of shit, and that he will forever be a piece of shit. He killed his family. I don't care if he had CTE. Yes, that sucks. And that is part of why you did what you did. But at the same time, I am a person that has a history of concussions. I am able to tell when something is not right with my body. And I can guarantee you as a professional athlete that Chris Benoit was at some point Before he snapped, he was able to tell when something was not right. And at that point is when you should seek medical help. And had he done so, I can almost guarantee that he would have been told that he had to retire. And then maybe he would have been able to get some of the help that he needed. So, yes, as a person, Chris Benoit is a piece of shit and he always will be. What I won't do, though, is discredit. I mean discredit yes but what i won't do is ignore what he did in the ring i don't respect him i don't respect what he did in the ring because of who he is as a person but you can't if you say that he wasn't good in the ring and couldn't hang with people that's not true as a from from a realist point of view that's not true because looking at his art of work he was one of the best that ever stepped foot in the ring do is that me defending him? No, because like I said, he's a piece of shit. He always will be a piece of shit. But if you say that he was no good in the ring and couldn't hang with people, that's not true. 
And that's a, a flat out fact. If Chris Benoit had hypothetically never done what he had done and he continued to wrestle and didn't have the CTE that he did, he would have tore it up with the likes of someone like Brian Danielson, someone like Claudio Castagnoli, someone like Jonathan Gresham, someone like John Moxley, Seth Rollins, Roman Reigns. Had he still been wrestling around that time frame and had he not done what he had done, he would have tore it up with those guys. Him and Brian Danielson would have been a dream match. So that is something that we can't say. You can't you can't just say because of what he did that he was no good in the ring, because obviously that's not true. Can we discredit him? Yes, absolutely, because what he did doesn't deserve respect for him or his career. But can we say that he was no good in the ring? Absolutely not, because that's not true. What do you think, Justin? Yeah, Alex, I I agree with just about everything you said. Uh, There's not much I have to add on to that. I do want to bring up, because I I did think it did a good job kind of going into the last few years and the last few days leading up to the Benoit incident. Uh, it was the Dark Side of the Ring episode that came out. Uh, I forgot exactly when it was. I know it was in the last two years or so, though. Uh, you know, somebody I feel bad for in regards to the whole situation that happened is uh, Chris's son, David. You know, he looks up to his dad as a hero and... He says that in the Dark Side of the Ring documentary. Uh, it's unfortunate. That, you know, imagine how his life was after everything. And he kind of went into detail about it. He had to be pulled from school because they knew who his dad was. And, you know, his whole, his whole life changed after that. He's come out in recent years saying how he wants to wrestle. And if he does wrestle at some point, he wants to be... Chris Benoit Jr. He wants to have the same music. He wants to have the same gear. And it's nice to have a dream like that, but no wrestling company, whether it be mainstream or independent, is going to let something like that happen. Listen, I've been I've been hearing for fucking years about this kid. I want to become a wrestler. I want to become a wrestler. I want to become... I'm talking fucking years. Literally, I've been hearing interviews from this kid for the past 10 years. He wants to become a wrestler. I've never once seen a fucking video of him training. I've never once heard of him training. I've never heard him once attempt to go to a wrestling school. Fucking drop it already. At this point, you're just here because you're trying to fucking live off that name, but you have not made a single fucking attempt to fucking wrestle. Drop it. I'm tired of fucking hearing it from this kid, David Benoit. That's great. He's made no attempts. I know he was signed to some fucking company. He was supposed to have five matches, this or that. I don't know what's happened about it. You don't hear about him at all anymore unless his dad gets brought up. And then he magically appears like he's a fucking guy from the Lucky Charms. He's magically delicious and fucking magically appears out of nowhere. David Benoit appears out of nowhere because daddy's name's been brought up. Kind of like fucking uh, Cody Hall lately. Fucking Dave is dad's funeral and he fucking posts his booking information on Twitter. Man, fuck you. I'm done. I'm done with it. I don't want to talk about these second generation fucking nobodies because that's what they are. And that's what David Benoit is. He's made no attempt to fucking make it in professional wrestling. None. He's made none. 
I yeah, got to agree with Lee on that one. Yeah, you're, you're right, Lee. It would, we yep. haven't seen any sort of footage, any kind of video. And you see fo- videos and photos of people training on Instagram all the time. Uh, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, any any form of social media. But we've never seen that from David Benoit. And I think at one point, Natalia and Tyson Kid, I believe they were they were willing to train him. I don't know if a, a specific offer was made, but I think they were willing to at least. But it's gone nowhere. Exactly. Yeah. And you know what? Honestly, I think that's all that really needs to be said about this situation. I, I'm 50-50 with Jordan Grace. Do I agree that he deserves to rot in hell? Absolutely. Uh, do I agree that he couldn't hang with the current roster in any promotion? I don't think that's true. However, one more thing before we end this show, ladies and gentlemen, I have some breaking news. Usually it's Lee and Justin that come to you with the breaking news, but I have some breaking news with you right now. It's been noted that Ilya Dragunov had to vacate the NXT UK championship due to injury. When he vacated the championship, it was noted that he was wearing a protective boot. So he might have a foot leg injury, whatever, what have you. We're not entirely sure. But a new NXT UK champion has been crowned as of the NXT UK tapings. They held an NXT UK championship tournament, and the final two competitors in the tournament were Trent Seven and Tyler Bate of the former group known as Mustache Mountain. Trent Seven recently turned on Tyler Bate, ending the group. And everybody, once this tournament started, guessed that they were going to be the last two. Well, you were right. And it came down to Trent Seven and Tyler Bate. And Tyler Bate is your new NXT UK champion. He is the first ever two-time NXT UK champion, while also being the first NXT UK champion in history. So he now holds the record of being the first champion and being the first person to hold the championship Twice. We have no idea how long Ilya Dragunov is going to be out for. We wish him the best, and we wish him a speedy recovery. But Tyler Bate is your new NXT UK champion. Yeah, I don't feel like we talk about Tyler Bate enough. The kid's so fucking good. He's and so good. I, I I love him. I love him so much. His match <laughs> with Walter or Gunther, or however you would like to refer to him as, is my favorite Walter slash Gunther match that I've seen to date. Yeah, and he's so young and he's only going to get better, which I find is just crazy. Right, and obviously this sets up eventually for Trent Seven to become NXT UK champion. And if and when he does become NXT UK champion, that'll also make every former member of the British Strong Style group, which consisted of Trent Seven, Tyler Bate, and Pete Dunne, they will all, at that point, become NXT UK champions. There we go. And that's my piece of spoiler tonight. Well, I guess I don't need to say it. So, uh, ladies and gentlemen, you can find us on Facebook. Facebook.com slash perched on the top rope. We're still trying to get that 10,000th like, ladies and gentlemen. We're we're well over 10,000 followers, but we want that 10,000th like. So go be that 10,000th like because... If you get there, there's five autographs waiting for you. You can find us on Twitter at Perch Top Rope. You can find us on Instagram at Perched on the Top Rope Podcast. Ladies and gentlemen, you can find us on TikTok. It's Perched on the Top Rope. Great Selena scenes of professional wrestling history using Celine Dion's My Heart Will Go On. 
And if that doesn't tickle your fancy, then go watch the Taskmaster Kevin Sullivan go get humped by a dog because he did not kill Chris Benoit's family. Ladies and gentlemen, that is TikTok perched on the top rope. And I said that correctly. You can see Kevin Sullivan get humped by a dog on our TikTok. You can also follow us anywhere and everywhere podcasts can be found from Apple, Google, Spotify, Stitcher, Podbean, Podbay, Red Circle, and again, anywhere podcasts are found, just search Perched on the Top Rope. You can also find us on YouTube, where our great IT technician here, Alex Todd, Perched Gaming's Alex Todd, that is, makes our interview so awesome, cuts out awesome sound bites. Uh, there's gaming stuff on there from WWE 2K22 and much, much more. Go check out all that content at youtube.com slash perched on the top rope. And since, well, I don't have to say it, ladies and gentlemen, this episode was not spoiler free. And that's okay. We're out. See you. Peace.